You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yes, sir. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Kendrick Perkins going to stop by in 15 minutes. Amino Hassan at 530. Tanya Ganguly of the LA Times will stop by at 630. We will make sure to talk to you guys about the series as well at 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. We'll allow you to make fun of the of Pandemic P, as uh, we have dubbed him here, Paul George. We'll have all that. You can shower Luca with all the love you'd like. Um, but, LZ, I wanted to start on a more serious note. We kind of touched on it during crosstalk, and that is the situation in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Jacob Blake and how it translates to what's happening in the world of sports and what you and I are covering on a daily basis. And it is the players in the NBA uh, – contemplating not playing games tomorrow and it started with Marcus Smart today at practice talking about how you know the the team is discussing how they should handle this should there be a protest should be there be a boycott altogether should there be some sort of demonstration uh, but still play and then Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors who will play against the Celtics in game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals uh, felt very similarly to Marcus Smart and look this isn't this shouldn't be a surprise we had I, Laura, Laura is Laura there do we have the LeBron sound if we don't that's fine we can LZ and I could discuss and we can let people hear LeBron in a moment um, but this has been discussed by LeBron last night in the postgame uh, it was discussed by Chris Paul uh, yesterday evening in his postgame it's been a topic of conversation throughout the day on the radio station on the network etc LZ but with the more recent news being about the contemplation of not playing the game, what do you believe should happen here? Man, I believe that the players should not play. I'm going to be consistent in the sense of when the Clippers were getting ready to play in their playoff game, upon the news of Donald Sterling and his well-known, not even hidden, but just well-known racism becoming even more well-known to the point in which they had no choice but to do something in the league. But I, I stress, we knew about it before that. Um, I felt the Clippers should have not played. I thought that taking off their, their jackets and throwing them in the middle of the court was kind of weak considering the circumstances. And the idea that we're going to play because there's a chance to win a championship and we can do both at the same time. I think they ended up doing neither. They didn't win a championship, obviously. And of course, you know, Donald Sterling became a punching line, a punchline, but the Clippers players, particularly African-Americans ones, really weren't that present in the conversation with the rest of us were having. So I'm being consistent with that rationale that I had back then I'm going to say if the players are feeling as if a stronger statement would be not to play, then I'm going to side with the players. Um, I recognize, George, that that may not be something that 
Um, our network may want to hear from me. I recognize that may not be something that sports fans may want to hear from me. I will simply say that an unarmed black man was walking to his car with three children inside and officers shot him in the back seven times. And according to his father, he's paralyzed, which by the way is good news because typically in these situations, that black man is dead. Mm -hmm. And we continue to have these conversations over and over and over again. And that maybe part of us changing the dynamic that in which we continue to have these conversations, maybe to change the dynamic, we need to change the approach. The athletes need to change the approach. We all need to change the approach. And if that leads them to believe a boycott will help send, send a stronger signal across the country, if not the world, that I'm going to side with these men who have talked amongst themselves because at the end of the day, they have more to lose by not playing than I have to gain by them playing. So do you just a quick question before I give you my thoughts on this real quick. Um, and again, I, not as a black man, obviously, but also as a minority, I, I feel like uh, we, you know, we, my message throughout all of this be, beginning from the original um, situation with George Floyd has been that, Everyone needs to be on the same page on this stuff. But uh, my question to you, my follow-up question, I guess, to you would be is, are you staying, stating one, this one game, or do you believe they should shut down the whole thing, like the bubble? I believe one game. Okay. Um, I, I certainly believe one game. Um, to gather together as men, voice their concerns, very similar to what the Detroit Lions did by not holding practice. Okay. You know, they're they're not boycotting the entire offseason. They're not boycotting the entire regular season. And we won't make it to the playoffs, so that won't matter. But um just to simply send a stronger statement that they're serious about mm -hmm. their involvement and that it doesn't end with having some nice words put on the back of jerseys, but that they are truly about action, even action that could cost them money and make everyone uncomfortable. Okay. Well, okay, then we are on the same page in regards to that. I, I still, th I, I, I do think that even boycotting the one game could be troublesome um, for a number of reasons, but let me get to that in just a second. I want to hear uh, the LeBron sound that I had alluded to earlier. This is LeBron James in the post game yesterday when asked about basketball, he chose to discuss the situation with Jacob Blake. In our community. And us, I know people get tired of hearing me say it, but we are scared as black people in America. Black men, black women, black kids, we are, we are terrified. Because you don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea how that cop that day left the house. You don't know if he woke up on the good side of the bed. You don't know if he woke up on the, on the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if he had an argument at home with a significant other. You know, if it's one of his kids said something crazy to him and he left the house steaming. Or maybe he just left the house saying that today is going to be the end for one of these black people. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It just, it hurts. It hurts. And it's this through the grace of God that he's still living. Like seven shots, close range, and he's still alive. That's through the grace of God right there. And, um, my prayers goes out to that family and that community. But I got nothing nice to say about those cops at all. 
So that was what LeBron said. And look, man, if you listen to what his words are there, just on a very basic human level, which has always been the, the conversation I'd like to have here, is that you need to bring this down to a human level. Like, try Empathy is the thing, I think, LZ, that we lack the most in today's world. And I don't know if that's just a product of the times. And what I mean by that is just social media and that social media has created a situation where, uh, yes, we now have more access to the best voices that maybe we didn't have previously, but we also have access to the worst type of voices too. And unfortunately, that stuff tends to cloud us here. Um, and our, you know, and I think that because of that, if you just really listen to the words he's saying, like it really should jar you, uh, even if you're not black, right? To just be like, wow, yeah, if that's the way you feel like you live and you're LeBron James, imagine what someone that doesn't have that clout or that, uh, you know, fame. Uh, and finances feels like. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of the way I'd like to to, to frame it. In regards to the play, to playing, um, I think that part is interesting, too, because it really is... I'm torn on it, LZ, because I think that you have this platform, right? And it was the same, similar conversation to me when Kyrie was saying that they shouldn't play at all. Yeah, uh, And I was like, you know, I, I wouldn't relinquish that platform. Laura, do we have the sound from Matt Barnes or Chauncey today on the jump available? Okay, let me hear what Matt Barnes had to say today on the jump about if the players should consider not playing. So I always think there are, our message is stronger when the NBA logo is behind it. It, it. it covers more, but... This is why Colin Kaepernick took a knee, because this continues to happen in our communities. You can say what you want. There's mass shootings. White people commit mass shootings, and somehow they're always arrested. Mm -hmm. Somehow they're always arrested. And then you see countless numbers of unarmed African Americans being killed for no reason. You know, that the police are here to protect and serve, but some, somehow they've got in their mind now they need to play judge, jury, and executioner. And it's a, it, there's an alarming stat where... 1% of officers are charged for shootings and less than 1% are actually convicted. So they don't fear. They don't fear there's any consequences to them because the police union is so strong. So we talk about defunding the police and I think that's a good idea. I think the verbiage needs to be changed because we do need police officers. But we need to take a look at the, the, the police unions and then allocating funds for situations so like this. This man was breaking up a fight in the neighborhood between two women. He nearly ends up getting killed in front of his children. Now he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. And what's really going to happen to these cops? Now, right now, they're paid leave so you're trying to tell me you can kill someone and go home and just not and get paid and not have to do anything like what that doesn't sound like punishment to me like that's a cool you know if you're still going to pay me and i can go home so the punishment is trash it, it continues to happen and um we need to figure something out so like they said voting is very important we need three more senate seats and then a vice president who will sign off on this new uh, george floyd justice and policing act so it's very important to get to the polls in november so that was Matt today on the jump, LZ, and I thought, you know, he, he very much in line with what you said, except he believes they should play uh, tomorrow uh, because of, as he pointed out, you know, having that NBA logo, in, you know, associated with you when you're making your statements, he believes is something that will aid the situation. Well, you're not getting rid of the NBA logo because you're not playing. I mean, you can certainly put on your warm-ups and give the impression that you're going to play and just at tip off, don't. And instead get a microphone and talk. 
I mean, there are ways in which you can continue to keep the eyeballs, eyeballs on you without relying upon playing to facilitate that. And I do believe that there is something to be said about athletes feeling empathy in this situation, particularly the ones of color. You know, this isn't sympathy. This is empathy because they realize that if they were maybe three inches shorter, that could have been them. They realized that they couldn't jump quite as high, shoot quite as well. That could have been them. You know, I've actually have been to Kenosha quite a bit, believe it or not, George, because my best friend, who happens to be white, is from Kenosha. <laughs> I've been to Kenosha a lot. And you know what, George? I love Kenosha. It is cute. It's right off of Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful town. The downtown is fun and quirky. Um, the, his family have always treated me like one of their own. You know, the kids call me uncle. My son calls them uncles. Like, we're very integrated. This is a friendship that's been around for more than two decades. We're very close. He's from Kenosha. And I wrote a piece talking to him, his brother, and his nephew about what it's like being in Kenosha right now and the racial reconciliation that's going on. And the reason why I'm bringing that all up is because when I heard Kenosha, I was shocked Unfortunately, not by the shooting, because at this point, both as a black man in this country, also as a journalist in this country, I've covered that story a lot. But the fact that it happened in Kenosha just reminded me that the phrase it can happen anywhere is really true. Whether you're the president of an NBA team, whether you're just a guy in Kenosha trying to break up a domestic dispute between two women, whether you are a recently graduated grad student in his first job like me when I was pulled over and handcuffed and taken, to and taken to jail because the cop thought I shouldn't have lived where I was living and I was barely like 26 when it happened, fresh out of grad school thinking I made it. There is no making it, dog. You can't respectability politics yourself out of this. And so for these players to talk about that from an, empath from an em empathy perspective, it's a beautiful thing to see because they know that this thing that's happening, that's been happening, and that we're witnessing in Kenosha right now, this involves everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless if you're a professional athlete, and I'm going to say regardless of race. No white person should feel excluded from this conversation. You shouldn't be quiet in the midst of this conversation because you don't think this is your place. This is your place, too. You're not an ally in this fight. This is your fight, too. And I'm glad that the NBA players are talking about this from that perspective, because that's real talk right there. They just happened to win the gene pool. That's it. They could have very well have been. I could have been. You could have been. Any minority person could have been Jacob Blake. And that's the point. We'll ask a former NBA player, Kendrick Perkins, about this, and we will discuss the Lakers, Blazers, Clippers, Mavs, and go around the NBA with him as well. He's going to join us in two minutes, LZ. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking 
splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Sedan and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Our brother Kendrick Perkins is going to join us here in just a moment. Uh, don't forget, Amin's going to stop by at 5.30, and Tanya Ganguly will check in with us from the L.A. Times. She's in the bubble, and she'll stop by at 6.30. Uh, Kendrick Perkins is on the line. Yep, he will join us here. Of course, you can catch him all over ESPN and the family and networks, Hoop Streams, uh, which he does with Cassidy Hubbard and Amin, of course, on First Take, Get Up, uh, The Jump. You name it, he's on it, our guy Kendrick Perkins. Perk, thank you so much for taking the time, as always, my brother. Um LZ and I were just discussing before we get into basketball um, the Jacob Blake situation in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which has now led guys like Marcus Smart to speak out about potentially not playing their game against the Raptors. Fred Van Vliet has talked about the Raptors also feeling a similar way. You as a former player, how would you handle this current situation? Would you play that game between the Celtics and the Raptors? Well, I mean, it's it's a difficult situation. I mean, and it all depends on how you feel. One thing about it is that you can't knock no one for how they feel a certain player. Um, me personally, I probably would play. Um, I feel like basketball to me has always been a sanctuary. Um, yes, we're going through, you know, trying times when we're dealing with in, in social justice. But, you know, <clears throat> when we think about it, uh, you know, I hear a lot of guys saying that we shouldn't be playing basketball or the bubble shouldn't even be existing because it's becoming a distraction. Well, to me, I thought that it has been the bubble has brought more awareness, you know, to to the situation because guys actually have the microphone in front of them, and millions of people are, are hearing. You hearing guys in their post game, you know, not even talk about the game, talk about justice for beyond the Taylor talk about voting, talk about all the above. So, you know, to me, I don't knock a guy for how he feels or because we all fighting the same cause. And just because someone is not doing it the way you want them to do it doesn't mean it's not the right way. So me personally, Joy, I would play. I would play because basketball has always been a sanctuary to me. So, you know, I would play, but I would still make sure I get my message across. Oh. Perk, I agree with you. I sided on leaning towards the direction of where the players are going, and I thought they shouldn't play. If they thought they shouldn't play, then I agreed with them, then don't play to shake things up. But from the outside looking in, what more can the NBA specifically do as a league to address some of these issues beyond what we're seeing right now in terms of using the bubble to get the word out? Like, the word is out. Now we need some action, right? right? <laughs> And you're right. I don't. I don't know. I, I look. I think Adam Silver has done in the NBA, along with Chris Paul and the Players Association and Michelle Roberts, has done an excellent job. Like, just think about it. Every single t- day, we're hearing a message that's coming from the bubble. Millions of people. You know, um, the 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 messages that are on back of the jerseys. You know, Black Lives Matter all across the court. You know, just the whole conversation. I don't know what else the NBA could do. Now, it's some behind-the-scenes work that needs to happen before stuff being brought to light. I I mean, I think the NBA has done a tremendous job. And and to be honest, I don't know if there's much more they can do for us to your point. And and I just think that 
long as they keep allowing players to speak their mind freely about the situation, about how they feel, and do certain things and being creative to bring awareness, then, I mean, I don't know what else the NBA could do. Kendrick Perkins joining us here. Perk, could there be a situation where maybe there is a demonstration before the game similar to what we've seen with the kneeling of the anthem and things like that? Maybe some show of solidarity, perhaps? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, George, it's whatever floats your boat, man. It's, it's hard to say. And then, and, then, and then this time, you know, there's no wrong answer. I mean, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever they come up with collectively – uh, for us with the NBA and the Players Association, because we have to understand, right, Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports, in my opinion. And he's a player's commissioner. Um, he he listens to the players. You know, if the players got complaints, he try to fix it. Um, the players actually could call Adam Silver personally. You don't have that around a lot of sports. And he's not afraid to, to, to stand behind his players and help for change. So, to me, like, again, whatever it is, whatever floats in one boat, as long as we fight for the right cause and fight for change, I'm all in for it. You know, switching gears for a second, they're, assuming that they do play, um, we've had some interesting developments in terms of series matchups. You know, a week ago, everyone thought the Lakers were in trouble. We now know that that's not the case. But it looks like the Clippers are in trouble. And you said that right now you would start your franchise with Luka and not the reigning MVP, Giannis. Is that true, or did someone hack you? No, nah, no hack. No hack. It came straight from me. And this, this is no knock on Giannis. You know, Giannis is seven foot. He's athletic. But when you look at Luka Doncic and what he's doing right now and what he's done since he stepped foot into the league and what he's done before the league, I mean, you can't question him. Right now, we're talking about arguably the probably the greatest 21-year-old to ever play the game, putting him alongside LeBron James and Magic Johnson, and, and a guy that don't rely on athleticism. Like, Luka could play this game for 15 to 20 years the way that he plays. It's not like he's a high flyer or he's a guy that runs fast. The way that he plays the game, uh, you know, he, he he could play it for a long time, but on the flip side of it, he's a playmaker, right? Think about it. Like, he got so many guys. He could get so many guys uh, easy buckets, easy looks. I call him a baby magic. He makes guys better around him. And and to me, it's no knock on Giannis. He's just a better playmaker. He could score just as good as Giannis. And he rebounds at a high level for a point guard or small or point forward, whatever you want to call him, he's averaging almost 10 rebounds a game. So, I mean, you cannot go wrong with this kid. This kid is a is – a, he has – to me, he's probably going to be the face of the NBA for a very long time. Kendrick Perkins hanging out with us here, ESPN NBA analyst. Uh, because of how good Luka has been, Perk, how much trouble are the Clippers in? And also, how much of that is because of Paul George's poor play? Well, I don't believe that they're in trouble. I actually had this series going six. A lot of people just counted the clip. I mean, the Mavericks out like they were going to get swept. And I said that the Mavericks have hoopers. They don't have household names, but they have guys that could play and, and, and could play this style, like Trey Burks and 
Tim Hardaway Jr. along with Luka and Seth Curry. Like, these guys could put the ball in the basket. And it's my biggest concern with the Clippers going forward is everyone talk about their perimeter defense, and they do have that. But when guys get past that, that first line of defense, where is the help side? They're not great at taking charges. They're not great at rim protection. So that's why Dallas is living in the paint along with knocking down three. So they having that combination and they having a fine line with trying to stop them. But now looking at PG, PG is struggling right now, right? And I think, and I strongly believe it's all in his head. He has to get out of his own way. But even him struggling on the offensive end should impact him imposing his will on the defensive end. Right, the Clippers have enough firepower offensively. You look like last game, Kawhi had monster numbers. Lou Will had monster numbers. Reggie Jackson had 15 to 16 points. Uh, even Zubak had 15. So they have guys that can fill up the stat sheet, especially Morris Twins. But but Paul George is one of the best wing defenders in the league. I was waiting to see, was he going to take on ownership of saying, you know what, I'm, I don't have it going offensively. Let me get into Luca. Let me try to slow down Luca. And I didn't see that. So right now, it's not Doc Rivers' fault. It's not no one's fault. It's Paul George's fault. He's in his own way. He has to clear out all the nonsense. Right now, he's fighting with social media more than he's fighting <laughs> on the court. And that can't happen. He has to focus and lock in. And I believe he he's going to play well tonight. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Pardon the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You ask me, he's been fighting with more than just that. He's been fighting with himself. Paul George is fighting with Paul George, trying to trying to do what he needs to get, <laughs> right. what he needs to get done. Um, it, you know, talking about teams that are that are in trouble, the 76ers on paper have already won three championships. But in reality, <laughs> they can't seem to do anything. What is the issue? Is it Joel Embiid isn't serious enough? Is it the lack of shooting from Ben Simmons? Is it really just about the coach? What do you think? Well, I think I think it's, it's, it was time for a new change in the coaching seat. I, I, I honestly believe that. And, you know, I don't know Brett Brown personally, but everyone said that he's a great guy, right? But I'm just looking at it. And if I get into it with – you know, 10 different people that I work with at ESPN. Sooner or later, it's not the 10 people that has a problem. I might be the one that have a problem. And when you look at the list of players that Brett Brown has had problems with, even going back to Jaheel Okafor, um, you know, going to last night, Jonathan Simmons, who, who tweeted, said it was about time. Al Horford, Tobias Harris came out and said they had chemistry problems. Uh, Jimmy Butler. You know, sooner or later, it's not the players, right? It got to be the coach. So that was the first part. The second part is that Joel has to get in better shape, right? He has to get better shape. I work part-time and I cover the Celtics, um, you know, when I'm not working for ESPN. And I do 
you know, uh, uh, pregame and stuff like that. And I actually do play a little play-by-play here and there. And I've watched that entire series close up in person, you know, through my TV. And Joel, yeah, he had those monster numbers. He had 30 points and, you know, 12 rebounds. But he gave up 60 on the other end. The game plan <laughs> against him, you know, the game plan against him, Brad Stevens said it. We're going to put him in pick and rolls and dribble handoffs. And Jason Tatum and Kimball Walker were coming off of screens that were set by Tyson Ennis Canna, and they were wide open. Joel couldn't even – he didn't even get a hand up. And you heard him after the post game. well, it was the coverage that we was in. We in the drop coverage. Yeah, just because you're in the drop don't mean that you don't have to contest. And to me, that shows the lack of commitment of being in shape because all the greats play both ends of the floor. Even me looking at a guy, you know, KG. Even looking at a wing position in Paul Pierce, when he had to go up against LeBron James in, in 2008, then had to battle with, well, he started off with Joe Johnson, then had to battle with LeBron James, and then had to finish with the great Kobe Bryant. He took on that challenge. He guarded those guys. Not only did he give them buckets, but he actually guarded those guys. And that's if Joel and the 76ers want to take it to the next level, he has to get in better shape. He has to be more accountable on the defensive end and 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 and, and keep keep it going. Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is a stud, you know. In my opinion, I, I think people look too deep in what he can't do, and that's the only thing that he can't do is shoot the ball. But he brings so much. He's so valuable in other areas, like defensively. He could have won Defensive Player of the Year this year. Um, the way he's the way he. Uh, uh, is a facilitator on the offensive end. He rebounds. He got post game. He could he could be a live guy. So many ways you could use him. But if I'm Philly, the next step is I'm trying to move Tobias Harris and Al Horford contract. That's my next goal. But I'm keeping Joel and Ben for sure. Kendrick Perkins with us here. Um, real quick on LeBron Perk. You played with him. You know him as well as anyone. Do you feel like the situation with LeBron when he was starting in the bubble and even that first game where, you know, first couple games where even though he had that great stat line in game one, uh, it just felt like he wasn't right physically. And because he has a specific ramp up, right, uh, historically Mm. to get his body peaking at a certain point and we had to stop and start again, do you feel like that played into it and now – He's found a, a groove physically because last night he was incredible and he looked like the, the LeBron we saw in March yesterday. Well, I mean, he looked like uh, the Miami Bron, George. That's an understatement. Did you see the <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how you go from crab dribbling uh, Gary Trent Jr. up the court to blowing by him whenever you wanted to. He, the 4-4 speed was, was alive last night. And yes, it probably had to do with the mamba mentality, but it also is that I'm not falling for Braun tricks no more. I know Braun. I'm not falling for it. He kind of reminds me of Ali back in the day with the rumble in the jungle when he was fighting George Foreman, just filling them out, filling them out, and all of a sudden in the eighth round, he just knocked them out. That's what Braun doing as a as a vet. We watched him through the games. He got guys going. You know, he's, he's, he's putting confidence in Caldwell Pope. Danny Green don't need confidence because he's battle-tested. He's also going through Anthony Davis, getting him war-ready. And then all of a sudden, when you need him the most or when you think he's just on cruise control, he hits a light switch. And then 
we looking at LeBron last night and saying, well, hold on. Is he the best player in the NBA? <laughs> well, the answer for me has been yes for over 10 years. I've never changed it. I don't give a damn who wins the championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just for sure. I'm that's, just, that's definitely I'm just the being case. real. Yeah. Hey, Perk, thank you so much for the time, man. Always appreciate it. You stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll talk soon, okay? Hey, anytime, my guys. I'll be easy, all right? Hey, thanks, all right, you sir. too, you man. Too. Take care. There he is, Kendrick Perkins with us here. Uh, he's LZ. so real with it, man. He's so real with yeah, it. He's, yeah. he's so real with it. He is. And he, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but he agrees with me on Ben Simmons. I'm just letting you know. Well, he agreed with me on every, I didn't say Ben Simmons wasn't good. <laughs> I didn't. I said he wasn't great. Okay. But I, we'll but get I into that some other time. You and I actually at six fifteen, we're gonna you and I are gonna go around the league and we can we can bring up Ben Simmons there. So okay. uh, thanks to Kendrick Perkins for joining us there. Uh coming up in a few moments, we'll hear from Michael Wilbon and also Dave McMiniman on why you always gotta bet on LeBron. Stick around for that. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Sedano and LZ with you here on 710 ESPN. Amin is going to join us at 530. We have some interesting Laker conversation for you, including why Dave McMiniman is all in on LeBron being back. We'll have that for you in less than four minutes, so stick around for that. But what you need to know, LZ, uh, two things. Uh, we have a game in action right now. The Denver Nuggets are trailing again to the Utah Jazz. They are at halftime. The Jazz lead this series three games to one. They lead 63-54. to 54. And Nikola Jokic for the Nuggets has 23 points on five of six from three, and they're still losing by nine points. Yeah, listen, stats are, are very, very deceiving because you can quote stats, and it doesn't give you an idea of what the impact is. And this is what I mean. You can score 10 points in the first quarter. You can score 10 points in the fourth quarter. But when those 10 points come matter more. Do those 10 points stop runs? Do those 10 points build a lead? Like, those things are important. So I understand that Jokic has great stats, but clearly those numbers haven't been that impactful because it looks like they're going to be out in five games. Yeah, I just don't think he has a lot of help, to be honest with you right now. Like, other than Jamal Murray, there's not a lot going on there. There's only, like, for example, as I look at their box score, uh, of anyone that's played 10 minutes or more today, yeah, the yeah. only one that's plus is Jamal Murray <laughs> in those in the minutes that he's played. Like it's just been tough. And Jokic, by the way, is minus four. But that's his. That's him and Michael Porter Jr. That's the lowest event. That's the next two lowest guys. Um, so it feels like Porter Jr., Jamal, and and Jokic are doing their job, and everyone else seems to be letting them down. Um, speaking of being let down, there's obviously that feeling in the world of sports today, and the NBA is no different based on the Jacob Blake situation. Um, we've seen that just beyond the NBA, as you alluded to earlier in the show, LZ, where the Lions players pra uh, canceled practice today. And I guess the big question is what to do with the upcoming games. The Celtics and Raptors have discussed 
boycotting the game and sitting this one out. Michael Wilbon earlier today on PTI had this to say about a potential sit-out of the Celtics-Raptors game. I encourage them. I applaud them. In many cases, I admire them. I admire LeBron James for saying, hey, listen, I'd love to talk about basketball. We got something bigger than that to talk about. I admire that, Tony. But all I'm saying is, if you think that just because you're frustrated is going, we live in an instant culture now. I mean, these these are kids. They don't know about the 50s and 60s because they weren't born. But if you think that wearing something on your back, on your jersey, and being upset and protesting and kneeling and even boycotting is automatically going to put your frustrations away, I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you as an old man, that's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's damn unlikely. That's the sad news. And and it's not something I ever imagined. I never imagined teams said, we're not going to play. Elsie, what do you make of Michael's comments? I mean, as far as I can tell, they're right in line with what I said, right? Like, it's like this is real. Like, this is life or death. This is real life or death situations we're talking about here. And we can't allow people who don't want to be uncomfortable to dictate what these young men should do with the resources and platforms that they have as it pertains to this issue, because it's literally killing us. It's killing us. Think about it. In one summer, we saw a black man jogging in Georgia get hunted down, shot down, and the police weren't going to investigate until the video went viral. Then we get the video of George Floyd, and now this one. And we are still waiting to see what happened with Breonna Taylor. And these, by the way, are the stories that we know. So I understand. We all love basketball. I think I'm the biggest ball fan in all of ESPN LA. And I know you probably feel the same way about yourself, George. I love ball. But I love also my son, a 23-year-old black man. And if them boycotting may help him live, then by all means, boycott, because that's what we're talking about, life or death, not your comfort. That's what you need to know, and we will keep you posted on if there's any news or updates on the players in that Boston and Toronto game sitting out, and if that could lead to other teams wanting to sit out their next games, uh, including tonight, potentially, with the Clippers and Mavericks. Uh, no word Paul as George the, is already that, that sit would out, be. Isn't he? In a different way, uh, it feels like he's going to do that. <laughs> okay. And we will we right. will get to the Clippers' woes in about 15 minutes. But let's yeah. talk Lakers here. Uh, are the Lakers back is the question. Are, are And here's what I would say. Yes, <laughs> in short order. Uh, number two, LZ, I, I believe they're showing the Clippers what it's like to be a favorite. I look at the Clippers, and on paper, they, they have the best team, I think, in the NBA. But that doesn't always necessarily translate when it matters most. They haven't had a lot of consistency together, and I think that plays a factor. And again, we'll get into that specifically in, in the next segment. But here's what I always tell people, and I have said this to people in the, the entire time I've been on this station for four years, even before LeBron arrived at, uh, in Los Angeles. And you and I have had many of these conversations, and we've been generally in agreement, which is until the wheels fall off, I'm always betting on LeBron. Okay, yep. like that's just kind of where, where I'm at on this. And I feel like you and I are lock and step here on this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
because I've you have to remember as an athlete, LeBron James pound for pound was just bonkers, right? And even though his athleticism has slipped a little, not a lot, but a little, it's his basketball mm-hmm. IQ that continues to get sharper and sharper and sharper. You could see right. him see how defenses are going to respond to him as soon as he gets the ball before he crosses half court. You can already see him analyzing the defense that's being set up and what he needs to do to pull your defense to the left or to the right because he's trying to get a corner three-pointer from either Caruso or Danny Green or whomever. You can see him functioning at that level. And typically what happens, you know, when you get to that level in terms of awareness in your sport, is that your athleticism has dissipated to the point in which you can't do exactly what you want to do with the information that you have. LeBron James is a cheat code because he still has the athleticism and he's got all the answers. And very few all-time greats like Jordan, like Serena, like Kareem, very few of those people are able to have both, particularly like in their 30s, where they're still just as athletic as they were in their 20s, but they have knowledge like they're in their 40s and 50s. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly, for sure. Um, He is uh, a bit of a throwback in some ways while also being very um, uh, in tune with the way players are now. Like, he really – it's funny because at 36, he's kind of an old head now, but he's also uh, a guy who still can be – you know, appear with one of the younger players, right, in some ways. Now, maybe not too young. Remember when he first got to the Lakers, he joked about how he knew how all those young guys and what, you know, he knew about what they were into because a lot of the stuff they were into were stuff his sons were into. You know, he was going a little (laughs) daddy LeBron back then uh, when he was talking about uh, those guys. But I feel like this team is full of veterans. He prefers playing with veterans. And and again, and you need a mixture of younger players, and he's kind of got that for him. Uh, Dave McMiniman, I thought, kind of surmised it best last night on ESPN Radio in the post game. Let's listen to Dave. LeBron, I mean, Le- Le- LeBron, as great as he was in Game One, it was a probing style of an attack. Uh, he had 17 assists, which is unheard of, or uh, so certainly give him credit for having a great game in Game One, but it wasn't this constant pressure being applied from him at the point of attack on the Blazers defense. Uh, You've seen it today, eight for nine from the field. He's getting downhill, seven assists, finding open guys. And, you know, listen, he's the type of person that has so much energy that a lot of people take their cues off of the way he conducts himself, the way he approaches things. And, you know, he's coming like a freight train and everybody else is, is just rushing right behind him. LZ, to Dave's point, the last two games really have been more in tune with the LeBron James I know from a stat perspective, right? In game three, uh, he had like 30-plus points, uh, 10-plus rebounds, and like eight assists, right? And in yesterday's game, in 28 minutes, I might add, he had 30 points, 10 assists, and 6 rebounds. And that's generally the winning recipe for LeBron because, as Dave pointed out, it's a combination of an aggressive LeBron, right, from an offensive standpoint, and a guy who still understands because he's aggressive, he can find teammates easier and get them easier looks. Yeah, you know, it... 
we remember when we talked about game one and I sort of felt like LeBron was outthinking himself where he wasn't going to allow Terry Stotts putting Gary Trent Jr. on him to tell him to be a scorer. I think mm-hmm. now he's just decided, all right, you're going to keep doing this, then I'm just going to destroy you. And that's literally what he's been doing. And speaking of being old, just as a side note, I actually covered Gary Trent Sr. when I was in college. He was in college, and he was in the MAC. I went to a MAC school, so I'm feeling old. So I'm sitting there yesterday, I was telling my husband, I was like going, you know, I, I covered that dude. His father. That's how yeah. old I am now. And yeah. now he's in the league. It's not crazy. But listen, LeBron James have all has always been the kind of player who can get to his spot whenever he wanted to. The question was always, why was he trying to get to that spot? Because sometimes he was trying to get to that spot to score, and sometimes he was trying to get to that spot to put pressure on you to double so that others can score. And in the last two games, he has appeared to have decided that I'm going to, I'm going to score first mm-hmm. and punish you for this defensive scheme that you've come up with. And then once the game is in hand, then I'm going to facilitate. Where I felt like in the first two games, the game wasn't in hand, but he was still facilitating nonetheless. Does that make sense? Oh, no. It makes 100% sense. I, I'm with you wholeheartedly. And and I think that that is the recipe for success. That and, of course, Anthony Davis finding his way to really be aggressive as well, and we've seen that recently. But scoring, yeah, getting the, the, uh, the scoring up was the key because defensively they'd played fine. Um, yep. We'll get back to basketball here in a second, LZ, because you and I, in a couple of minutes, I want to discuss the Clippers' woes, and I want people to make fun of Pandemic P, is basically what... I, I feel bad for him, but I know the audience does So we're going to allow you at 877 Why do you feel bad well, for him? Well, I, I feel bad for him because even... Look, I mean, it's just... Who he's called himself re- Playoff P? It was him. He did do that to himself. Okay, then. All right. Okay, then why do you feel bad that he invited I don't this know. criticism? I just he feel did badly. This. He yeah. did this. He did do it to himself. That's true. He I did mean, it to I, maybe himself. you'll swing me. Yeah. Um, you know who's doing it to themselves too, but in a good way are the Dodgers. They're really, really good. Last time I checked, um, we're at the halfway point basically here in the baseball season, and the Dodgers LZ are twenty-two and eight, which is get this: if it were a hundred and sixty-two game season, I did math mm-hmm. today, a hundred and nineteen win pace. They are plus 79 run differential. Uh, pro rates to get this, a plus 427 under over 162 games. Um, by comparison, the 2001 Mariners, who won 116 games, remember that when they had the record? They were that. a plus They were plus 300. When the Yankees in 1998 won 114, which was the previous record, they, won, they were plus 309. Now, we'll never know, we'll never be able to, put the Dodgers in that category because you know how baseball is. They're not going to put them in that category because it was only 60 games. But it literally is one of the best offenses we've ever seen. Uh, Now, again, truncated season or whatnot, but man, they are just incredible. And I feel like we need to show them at least a minute of love here. Well, listen, I said on the now defunct morning show that the Dodgers should win 45 games. That they mm-hmm. should be 45 and 15. Why did I say that? And Travis thought I was crazy because he said, to your point, that will put them at a ridiculous pace of wins. And it's like, yes. When you win 106 games and then you trade for the second best player in the league without having to give up too much, 
You should be on pace for that kind of win percentage. You should legitimately be there. Like, I wasn't full of hyperbole. I wasn't being a fanboy. I was saying this is a team that went 106 and 56 a year ago, had a run differential of 273, not just best in their division. They doubled like the nearest person, damn near the nearest team, damn near in their entire league. The only other team that kept it with them offensively really were the Houston Astros, and we know all about what they were doing to keep up with us. So, <laughs> when I, so when I when you consider that, George, why yeah. are we shocked that the Dodgers, no, right. who've added Mookie Betts, are just completely annihilating everyone that they face? I'm still yeah, mad I think that they lost two games against the Giants. Yeah, I think I think people were just a little weirded out by the randomness of sixty games, and I think that kind of put a little fear in anyone, but uh, in everyone, but not anymore. Clearly, all right. Coming up next, should the Clippers have some healthy fear? We'll get into that. We'll get into Paul George's woes, and I want to ask you guys a question at eight seven 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 ten ESPN. How much did Kobe yesterday, being Kobe Day, inspire this group of Lakers, uh, particularly based on? The fact that LeBron has talked about a lack of inspiration without fans there. 877-710-ESPN. We'll take some of your calls on that and on the Clippers. That's coming up in just a moment. 